What is up, Mets fans? Welcome back to another episode of the Mets Up Podcast. We are actually one episode away from Big 250 for the boys, which is quite a few episodes. A lot of stuff to talk about going on today. The big news that's going to eventually come later in the episode has to do with the MLB Draft Lottery, which we know is happening the day that we're recording this, December 5th. That night, me and James are recording in the afternoon, so we will live react, give you our immediate reactions to whatever happens later in the podcast. Same episode, though, so don't go anywhere. You'll hear our opinions at the end. If we sound like we don't know what's happened right now, it's because we don't. We have no clue, but we do know that the Mets have announced some new player people in the coaching staff, in the front office, as well have signed a couple players that, of course, me and James are going to break down fully for you guys so that you know that every little bit of information you need to know about everybody coming to the New York Mets for this upcoming 2024 season. As always, if you guys enjoy what you're listening to or watching over here, make sure you follow us on our social media at MetsUp on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Go subscribe to the New York Mets YouTube channel if you want to see the video version of this. And if you're listening to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Odyssey, drop us a rating, drop us a review, download and subscribe. We really do appreciate it. James, how we doing? Doing good. No complaints. Nice December. Happy there's finally like a little bit, a modicum of action right now going on in baseball at the winter meetings. We have traction on moves, but no actual moves. The entire baseball world has been on Eric Fetty watch for about 16 hours now. Everyone waiting for the pin to drop, the big domino to fall in free agency, and then we can finally get the floodgates open. Yeah, it's definitely uh, the Eric Fetty watch uh, for Eric Fetty Wap. No one's worried about Shohei Otani or Yoshinobu Yamamoto. You know, it's a name that legitimately haven't even heard a thing about. Haven't heard a word about Blake Snell, which is kind of funny, funny considering dude just won the Cy Young and no one's even concerned about him. Everybody's focused on, like you said, Eric Fetty. Sneaky, that was your prediction, though. He's the guy who was going to take all, a year to sign. So yeah. hats off to you. Thank you. Thank you. I, I, you know, uh, a broke clock is right twice a day. I think that's the saying, right? That is the saying, yeah. Nice. But, I got the saying right. Yeah, still, a lot of mess up for you guys to talk about. Definitely the most Mets-laden, packed, dense episode we've had in a while, especially because the Mets announced earlier this week, or I believe late last week, whatever it was, last few days, officially announced all the new additions they've made to the coaching staff in the front office. In the front office, we have Chris Gross, new vice president of amateur scouting, Andy Green, senior vice president of player development, and Eduardo Brisuela, vice president special assistant to Davis Stearns, the president of baseball operations, and then a whole slew of coaches. John Gibbons, the bench coach, Anton Richardson is the first base coach, Jose Rosado is the bullpen coach, and Mike Sarbaugh is the third base coach. So, Mark, you want to start first in the front office or in the coaching staff? Let's go with the front office. Let's go with the front office. I know that's what you're most excited to talk about. You're a front office guy over here. You've always been excited about the front office. And getting to start off with Chris Gross, VP of Amateur Scouting, which is also super important, as we know. The Mets want to build a really, really strong minor league system. And how do you do so? You scout well. Chris Gross did a great job of that with the Astros the last 11 years. And he worked with David Stearns in Houston from 2013 to 2015. Spent the last five as the Astros director of amateur scouting. So this is a promotion for him coming to the Mets. Yes, that's how we were able to take Gross from the Astros while he was technically under contract here. We've talked about it before in the show. Can remind people that if you're signing someone who's under contract with another organization, you're allowed to basically just steal them if you're giving them a leg up on the position they have. And that's why we get like funny names that are made up for different positions. And you have things here like a vice president, a head of a director, and also like assistant general manager, general manager, the president of baseball operations. There's a whole hierarchy that adds this weird set of bylaws where you could take other talented individuals from other people's organizations. So... We have Gross now, and Mark mentioned those last five years he spent as the Astros amateur director of scouting, director of amateur scouting, not amateur director. That'd be hilarious. (laughs) See, that's that's, you guys understand it. It's funny when you switch those two words around, how different the position sounds. (laughs) Not amateur director. He's director of amateur scouting. That's fun with the English language there. So 
Oversaw the last five amateur drafts, and those included the draft picks a few years ago of Drew Gilbert and Ryan Clifford, who you guys all know are now part of the Mets organization, as part of the Justin Verlander trade. And we just know that for years and years, since Gross had been there, but since this whole Astros regime had been there, that they've been especially good, better than most teams in the league, technically better than every team in the league, actually, at converting amateur players to big leaguers. For over the last 12 years, so since Gross began that role there, the Astros have had league-high 64 players that they either drafted or signed as amateurs who reached the major leagues. And that includes multiple years where they had penalties that took away their first and second round picks, and they were still the league lead over over more than a decade. So really cool that Gross is here. And I think that hearing from people around the industry, hearing from people who work for some teams, that this is something that has been looked upon very highly at the Mets made a very good hire. Yeah, no, I mean, just the fact that, like you said, the Astros have had 64 guys in the last decade. That's six and a half guys a year, essentially, come to the major leagues uh, from their their minor league system is pretty disgusting considering that conversion rate. Like, I mean, you, you look at the Mets team and you look at some of the best players on this team, a lot of homegrown guys, and you look at teams that are successful typically, they are built with these homegrown guys around these stars that you get through free agencies and trade. Very, very nice to be a part of that group of teams like the Astros at some point. Totally. And we kind of know that just from like seeing the way these MLB drafts go, seeing who gets on the prospects list, and then seeing who eventually becomes these good major league talents, that outside of the top 100 picks in MLB draft, it's really, really hard to find any kind of success whatsoever. The fact the Astros are getting like about six of them a year is kind of ridiculous because you're not very often going to have six picks in the top 100. And they just won a couple years, they had no picks in the top 100. So that conversion rate is very special. And the fact that that's something that can be converted is very big. Another big part of this now is going to be Andy Green, who's hired to be Senior Vice President of Player Development. Another hire that has been there's lauded throughout the industry and something that I think is especially important for the Mets because we've had, as, as well as we've done amateur scouting for years and years and years, and we've had great guys in the organization. We've had um, Tommy Tanis, we had uh, Drew Toussaint was just promoted, and we had Mark Tramada, who I think just left to go take a role with the Blue Jays earlier this offseason. But scouting-wise, we're incredible. But we've had a lot of different directors and people in charge of player development. So I think the hope here now is that Andy Green can be someone who can be the vice president here and oversee this and start to build this, this position in the organization up in a big way. And people around the industry love it. And it's funny with Green because he's someone who, even this offseason, interviewed for the Mets managerial position. And he's someone who has spent most of his time on, like, on the bench, on the field. He was former Padres manager, like what, six or seven years ago now, Cubs bench coach with David Ross, former two-time double-A manager of the year, which is cool that he was like really in the mud there with the minor leaguers. And he took his last professional at bat with the Mets, which I thought was also kind of funny. The fact that he's coming back to the organization, which he literally last played with. Yeah. And it's always interesting to see a guy that's like, so very hands-on, like doing the day-to-day stuff on the field with the players. Like you said, bench coach, manager, double-A manager, like being so involved in like the day-to-day stuff now go to more of a player development side, which is still relatively probably going to be on field. I mean, when you're developing players, you're working on their skills on field. So the crossover kind of makes sense. And like you said, like it's also funny that interviewing for a manager job this offseason, the Mets were like, you know what? You're smart. Like we're, we're, we're not going to hire you for the manager, but we are going to put you in a spot that's really important still. Like we have a spot for you. We just want Carlos Mendoza as our guy. Uh, it's cool. It's very nice to see. Like you said, there's a lot of positive buzz around Andy Green. It's a name that you guys are probably familiar with because of those coaching jobs that he has in the past. And super excited to see what he can do on the player development side because, as we know, like you said, super important. Look at all the teams that are winning, developing players. It's it's as much as as nice as it is to think that you can just buy wins and you can buy players and you can make your team good that way. The way that you build this like self-sustaining system is by having the minor leagues along with that influx of players through free agency in the trade market. Yes, and I like the fact that it seems like this hire along with all the other ones are 
continuing on the same path of making sure the organization is aligned. Yeah. Having a guy like Mendoza, who's like, he likes blending both sides of baseball. Even thinking back to when um, David Stearns was president of baseball operations for the Brewers and Craig Council became their manager. He originally had a role with the Brewers in the front office. So it's the fact that there are these people who are able to seamlessly go from off the field to on the field, to off the field, to on the field, deal with players like as a whole, like as a collective and oversee a lot of things while also being able to work with them individually and be able to say exactly what, what they think, what you think they can do to make themselves better. I think is very important. Again, it seems just like everything is aligned. Keep using that word. Everything's aligned right now. Everything's moving in the right direction, moving together. And then the last hire to talk about now is Eduardo Brisuela. He's going to be vice president and special assistant to David Stearns, president of baseball operations, which is the exact same role he had with the Brewers and Stearns. He spent 16 years with the Brewers, worked his way up from an advanced scouting intern in 2009, all the way to a vice president with the team by 2021. Whoa. So Love a grinder. He has a great LinkedIn profile if anyone wants to check it out. We love looking at LinkedIn profiles for all front office hires. The best spot to get information on them. And he especially was heralded with Milwaukee to building up their Latin American operations. And we know the Brewers as the organization over the last like decade-ish certainly had more success in the international free agency market than they did in the, uh, in the draft market, amateur draft. So now you kind of hope, okay, you're seeing the way this all comes together now where you took someone who's one of the most successful over the last decade and converting amateur players to professionals. And now someone who David Stern has really worked with and knows how good he is at building up things that are going on in the DR, Venezuela. Venezuela is Venezuela and also the GM for Team Venezuela, which is, I think is interesting too. Good connection there with Mendoza. So you heard Mendoza in his press conference talk about that this organization, like every, every hire is important from the major league team all the way down to Dominican Republic, how important it is to build up talent in that part of the organization, what that pipeline could mean to a major league ball club. So... Like that Bruce Wells there, trust him to build it up. The fact that he just simply worked in Latin American operations for the Brewers for, I think it was six consecutive years, eventually becoming the director of that before he was promoted further. It's a great spot to be. And I, th- these are three hires that, again, we're pumping their tires right now. Everyone in the industry is saying, though, they're really good. And I'm confident in all of them. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, bringing in a guy like Jackson Chorio, you should be applauded for that at any chance you get, so... Freddie Peralta, a lot. Yeah. Well, Brewers, had, Brewers had many players from that part of the world become successful. And it's just, it's hard to have a hit rate on Latin American players anyway. Like you get, you, we always remember the big hits, but you just don't really realize how many years, how many players every single year come through the international free agency market. The VAT and VAT players. If we rolled through a SPO track for an international free agency period from yeah. like 2021, you'd be like, I recognize maybe 3% of these names. Yep. So all of those hits, especially when those hits become marquee players, like that's important. And someone who worked operations for a system like that, Right now, the Mets seem really trying to build their operations. We know they're putting a lot of the money into those training facilities down there. So it's only as good as the people you put in charge of them. So happy that Brisuela is someone who's going to oversee that. Yes, yeah, so that's, that's a little bit behind the curtain. That's behind the scenes, the front office. Let's talk about what you're going to see every single day now on the field in terms of the new coaching staff for the Mets on the field. Start off with the new bench coach, John Gibbons. That's a name that I'm pretty much, I'm sure all of you are pretty familiar with, uh, whether that's because he played all 18 of his major league games as a catcher for the New York Mets from 84 to 86, or more likely because he most recently coached the Blue Jays. Also funny, he only played ever for the Mets. He's only ever coached for the Blue Jays. Now he's coaching for the Mets again as our bench coach. Uh, he did some great stuff in Toronto. They made the playoffs a couple times. He had some winning teams over there. And I know Blue Jays fans like at, at times love this guy. Like Gibbons has got a little bit of a little bit of fire. And the I think they talked about when they brought in Mendoza, they wanted a bench coach with some major league managerial experience. And John Gibbons definitely has that. Yes, and it's just a, someone who can be a steady hand next to Mendoza who 
has all the qualifications to be a manager, but just quite literally has never done it at the major league level before, despite doing it at many other levels and yeah. different leagues and their professional levels. But the fact that there's just someone you can like, look to and lean on and be like, here's a little bit of something different, I think is great. And I'm also super excited to be dropping some Gibby memes all year long from yeah. iCarly, which might be, I don't know, our listeners, I'd really love to know the percentage of people that know Gibby from iCarly, legendary TV show character from the Nickelodeon days. I feel like our, like our age, 27, you have like plus or minus like two or three years on each side that will know who this is. And then you're either too young to know Gibby or too old. So I want to know how many of you at home are excited for some Gibby memes this year. Yeah, we're in the we're in the age where we don't really have like one of these generations. Like we're not really millennials, but we're not really Zoomers. I think you're a little bit more of a Zoomer, honestly, than most people our age, <laughs> just from your from your from your, your work habits. I think I don't know. I, I feel like I have, I have no ties to really either of them. I'm stuck in between. We like, like had Facebook. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, a little, a little old stuff when it comes to baseball. But like, we we had Facebook, but didn't really like really delve ourselves into Facebook. We knew about MySpace, didn't really use it that much, and then we still have Instagram. So yeah. we just we're, we're trapped in between all this stuff. But I did see that. I think I don't remember if it was Mendoza or Stern. I think it was Mendoza that called him Gibby. I was like, that's immediately the thought that popped into my head too. Oh yeah, just put some some Gibby memes. Oh, love Gibby. Gibby's an all time character. Another new coach coming onto the staff, Antoine Richardson. He's going to be the first base coach. He's from the Bahamas. Funny, I, I read in his Wikipedia just trying to get some information on him. He had an opportunity to go to Brown, ended up going to Vandy instead, played baseball there, ended up getting drafted four times. Four times, which is crazy. It doesn't happen too often. And he got his degree in engineering science. Smart guy. Smart guy. We love to have smart guys around. Ended up signing with the Giants in 2005. Got his first coaching job in 2019 as field coordinator and minor league outfield coordinator for the Giants. And then was promoted to the first base coach starting in 2020 when Gabe Kapler took over. Uh, just a really, really well-respected baseball guy throughout his entire career, which is kind of kind of a theme with a lot of these guys that are coming in. Just like baseball lifers, different aspects of life, different ways that they were baseball lifers. But all these guys have just been around baseball since the day they're born, essentially. Totally. And I like the fact that he has been kind of around some greatness with the Giants, kind of after the realm, but just still from an organization that has has a way about it, I think, that a lot of organizations don't. And, yeah, don't know that much about these guys. We'll definitely learn a lot about them as the year goes on, but happy to hear what you have about the rest of them. Yes, Jose Rosado, the bullpen coach. This one is the most interesting. Uh, I don't know what it says about a bullpen coach, but I love. I just love... You guys know, you've listened to this podcast for a couple years now. Like, we, me and James love doing deep guy, dives into these guys' personal lives and just finding out more about them. Turns out Jose Rosado was quite the baseball player. Did not realize this. Former two-time All-Star in the late 90s with the Kansas City Royals. And he was also the winning pitcher of the 1997 All-Star game, which is just kind of a little fun fact that we've got for you. His career was cut short due to a torn rotator cuff in 2000. He immediately went into coaching. He He tried to come back, and then he went into coaching. And he was the pitching coach for Team Puerto Rico in 2013 and 2017, which obviously a lot of ties with the New York Mets and those teams, as well as the bullpen coach for Team Puerto Rico in this last World Baseball Classic. Worked in the Yankees minor league system for years, which would probably explain maybe a little Carlos Mendoza uh, relationship there. Born in Newark, so technically a New, uh, New Jersey guy, which we love. Shout out New Jersey. And then the last two fun facts I got about him. Gave up Paul Molitor's 3,000th hit. That's a random one. That You know what, James? Hopefully one day when we're playing trivia at the Bruin, maybe that will come up. Who gave Paul Molitor's 3,000th hit? Jose Rosado. We're going to lock that one in. Yeah, obscure baseball knowledge and '90s New York City hip hop. Those yes. are by far our two best things. Mark and I are part of the trivia, just bandit crew. We're, we 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 are so good at like getting second and third place because there's this one crew that goes also every single night that we're there and they dominate. They get like they miss like two questions, but last week they're kind of I don't know how to put this. They're a little bit more 
like probably a little more soft around the edges in our trivia group, a yeah. little more like grad students, a little less like gremlins. And there was a category that was New York City hip hop and they were completely lost. They were looking around like Mr. Krabs in the meme. And Mark and I and our two other friends were just like, nail and nail and nail and nail. I think me especially was on, on top of that one. And we were getting so good at that and we saw them trying to eavesdrop on us because like we're the rivalry. Like we, they always just like barely be this every single week. And we were just like throwing out some little deflections, like saying some fake things, like getting into biting some bad answers. It was, it felt good. Still wound up losing. But yeah, if we were ever to ask who gave up Paul Molitor's 3000 hit or who came in fourth in 1996 Rookie of the Year balloting. Yeah, Jose Rosado right behind uh, Derek Jeter and a couple other, I think Rocky Coppinger was a name that was ahead of him. That's a name I've literally never heard of, which just goes to show you, hey, sometimes you can find some hidden gems here. Jose Rosado, last guy coming in, part of the coaching staff that has not been previously a part of it. Mike Sarball, who was the third base coach, went to Lamar University. And I know you're going to like this. Got a degree in kinesiology. Nice. Yes. Love that. A little, a little exercise science. Know how the body works. It's always good. He was an extra in the movie Major League Two. He was the shortstop for the Pittsburgh Pirates, which we're, I don't know how. We're going to find that clip at some point. We're going to use it somewhere on Twitter or Instagram or something like that about him being that shortstop there. Uh, and he was also the third base and infield coach for the Guardians since 2013. Same thing. He was a lifetime manager rat, as I like to put it. He was just like, rather than playing in the minor leagues forever, he was like, I'm going to coach forever. And the teams that he coached in the minor leagues, extremely successful. Also, kind of racking my brain here, probably coached Francisco Lindor at some point, now that I think about it. Mm -hmm. Definitely sounds like it. And we do love minor league success in this podcast. You got to learn how to win before you know how to win. Something that, you know, that's, I feel like it's more of a football thing, but I think it also comes in tune in baseball as well. And totally. I don't think the Guardians get enough Cleveland the Cleveland organization because had two different names in the last decade gets enough credit for being just consistently one of the most well-run organizations. Besides for the fact that they have no money at all, they're allowed to spend any year in particular. I saw a thing on Twitter going around. Thankful this for week. that, yeah. So th so thankful for that. that did nothing better. That really that really helped to find our organization now. But they haven't had an outfielder hit twenty home runs in about ten years. Whoa! Wait, can I guess who the last guy was? Totally. Is it Grady Sizemore? No, just after him. Somewhat an incredibly unheralded, underrated baseball player from our youth. Ooh. Wow. You have one more guess, and I'll give you another hint. One more guess. Also takes you more than 10 seconds. Cleveland. Give me a hint. Give me a hint. Give me a hint. He has three names. He has three names? No. No clue. Shinsu Chu. <gasps> Shinsu Chu is extremely yes. underrated. Yeah. Yep. And, and before him, Ryan Rayburn. And then those are the last two Cleveland outfielders at 20. And then Brantley. Last three Cleveland outfielders at 20 home runs. And... I think 20 home run outfielders, that, that kind of just happens by accident usually, <laughs> so it's pretty shocking they've done that. But again, incredibly well-run organization. Their minor league development operations, just hearing from people around the league and the industry, are exemplary, like as good as it gets. And that's how they're able to run such slim margins and always, always have talented major league rosters, at least talented enough to win like between 77 and 90 games, like no more, no less. Had the spike season. Shout out Rajay Davis, shout out Francisco Lindor, shout out Ben Zobris, I guess. That was, <laughs> that was probably the best baseball game I've ever watched. I was arguing as Vito will call them, my toxic uncles about the greatest games we've ever watched. And like me and my That's one cousin, we're in like, we were in such a hot argument between 2011 game seven, 2016 game seven. Yeah. 2011, there were twice that the Cardinals were down to their final strike, final out. And David cousin Free saved them twice. <laughs> yes, twice, twice, two times. So my, my cousin reminded me that a lot. That happened twice. The other game didn't happen at all. But I thought the other game more prestige because it was the two biggest droughts, World Series droughts in the entire sport. The rain delay, I lived in Ohio, so it was a little more hot at the time, I guess, even just for me, just like being around a lot of Cleveland people all the time. But I digress, not by the point. But we're going to get more in these coaches throughout the year, of course. We learn about them. They get some media availability. I mean, we, we, we learned a lot about our coaches in the last couple of years just from being, being around the, the club, too, and around the field. And just in general, like, very nice to just get, like, 
Last year was not a great season for the Mets. No. It's very nice sometimes to just flush the toilet and like bring all new stuff in. And like let's get some new voices, get some new energies, get some new attitude. Like happy that there's gonna be a lot of new, just a lot of new things in the building when last year things didn't go super well. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I mean, and the guys that are sticking around, Hefner, Chavez, the Barnes boys, like we're happy to see all those guys back as well. <laughs> Did you like that? You like how I just dropped that one in there? I didn't even I haven't ever <laughs> used that terminology before the Barnes boys, but we got a couple yeah. of them. Totally. And I feel like also like you can see like the difference is that the guys who stuck around are the ones that have more of an organizational impact. And these are the guys who are going to have more of an on-field impact. Like Barnes and, Barnes and Chavez seem to be part of this whole like new found organizational approach to hitting. Hefner and like Eric Yeager seem to be working very closely in terms of major league pitching development and full organization pitching development. Those guys seem like a bit of a tandem and a tandem that we're beginning to trust very much. And Again, this just seems like this is gonna be like this is gonna be Mendoza's guys. Like these yes. are his guys. Like this was his this was his crew and it's going to be his crew. You could call them Mendoza's men. Mendoza's men. I like Mendoza's men. All right. Pretty good. Speaking of some of Mendoza's men, let's talk about some players now because the Mets have actually made some moves that we can talk about. We're gonna save the bigger one for the end because the other guys we can just kind of glance over a little bit quicker than maybe Luis yeah. Severino per se. But uh, Tyler Heineman, Cooper. Hummel have been brought in as basically depth catching. I think Cooper Hummel was added to the 40-man roster, so he has a chance to obviously make the squad uh, coming out of spring training, stuff like that. Uh, what's interesting about Cooper Hummel, he can play the outfield as well. One of the rare yeah. guys who plays catcher and the outfield. Also, I think, was with the Dimebacks at one point who also had one of the last catchers who played the outfield as well. Yes, far short. And he was also drafted by the Brewers back in 2016, oh, so definitely someone who there's probably a connection with Stearns. Also, he just has, like I'm going to say this like very lightly, he has a modicum of like really cool batted ball data. Like when he's been in the league for a couple of years, 2022, he had a pretty decent, decent sample. He put 113 balls in play and good max EV, 111 miles an hour, hit the ball hard, a good amount. Like he struck out a bunch, but he was able to walk 11% of the time. Like he's someone who at least just like on the 40 man roster could be a little bit of a jolt. He can give you a little zap. Yeah. And, at, and, and you can play catcher. And I think it's also worth noting that like, so Tyler Heineman was also signed, but to a minor league contract, not on the 40 man, like in terms of the hierarchy and importance, the guys who are on the 40 man, as you guys know, are more important, have more of a possible impact. Yes. And Hummel, the other thing is just, just again, playing catcher and outfield. That means like, you're going to be a pretty good athlete. He has a cannon of an arm, 92nd percentile in arm strength, Whoa. according to uh, baseball savant and 87th percentile in sprint speed. Whoa. And 90th percentile and pop time. So those are a lot of things together where it's like you have good, good athletic framework. Like, let's just put this is a good guy to have on the 40 man roster, like breaking case of emergency Cooper Hummel. Like, yes. just get, get him on the roster for a week and see some crazy happens. Yeah, I mean, we, we loved Michael Perez, but Cooper Hummel, maybe a little better, better of an athlete. Yeah, a little more, a little more jump. Yeah, a little more jump. All right, Kyle Crick or Joey Wendell, who's next, James? Let me just get Kyle Crick away. If you, go if you for it. Go there. for it. The uh, Mets Davis Stern is doing a thing this offseason where like they, I think they're trying to like make fun of me and just hiring random relievers I've liked and talked about for the last couple of years. Kyle Crick being one of them. Mark knows I was just all over this guy and we lived together because 2018 and 19, he was electric. Like he was throwing 96 then and he's had a litany of arm issues that have now pushed him down to the 92, 93 range, which who knows? Maybe he basically just took this whole year off. His health was unclear. He had a minor league contract with the Rays and opted out of it before the season. And now he's been pitching in the winter league with the DR before his Mets contract happened. Couldn't find any velocity readings on him then, but clearly he did enough there for it to pique the Mets' interest, have him sign. 2019 was actually like one of the best. 2018 was actually one of the best relievers in baseball. Like he had a 2 3 ERA. He was striking out 30% of hitters. Like his slider is devastating. He throws a two seamer that some people call a sinker. It's hard to tell with the way that like sinkers and the Sinkers and two-seamers are differentiated in like the public baseball forums, but he still has that amazing slider. Even back in 2022, his last healthy year with the White Sox, that was, again, also cut short by, I believe, elbow inflammation. Just had, again, a lot of elbow issues. 
he was still throwing that slider like 40% of the time, and it was still moving a lot. In terms of stuff plus, which is Eno Saris, his pitch grading is public on fan graphs. Still a very, very, very well above average pitch, even in terms of sliders. It's awesome. Pitch is awesome. He has that two-seamer that weirdly, again, it was called a sinker, and he was throwing it a lot in the top of the zone. So all these other MLB The Show players out there know it's like a big hack in the game to throw those high sinkers that like yes. duck in the top of the zone. And we've kind of seen a little bit in the last few years of like some teams experiment more with pitch shapes and where they can throw certain pitches, like outside of conventional wisdom. I know, Mark, you hate you hate what the lefty the lefty lefty sinkers and the lefty righty no, changeups. I hate the righty righty lefty lefty changeups. I just yes. it doesn't make any sense, especially like it doesn't make any sense. I'll get into it later. Yeah, totally. And like that's the thing that I feel like is a difference between playing baseball at a high level and then versus just like I can I see a shape and I know the way hitters swinging and like looking at baseball on a computer, yeah. which I think is definitely a battle that most teams have with themselves. And I think like high sinkers are one of those where it's like. If you miss with that high sinker, you were throwing a meatball down the middle. Or a but ball. Like if you, there's no yeah, or, positive. <laughs> yeah, or unless you can like pick the guy off on the top and like scare him a little bit, you know, be like, oh my God, that pitch is sinking into the strike zone. Oh God, defensive swing. But I think just the fact that that slider still is what it is, he's on a minor league contract, like that, that's it. Like this is this is a no impact signing. The memes were amazing with this. Yeah. Every single time Mets signing guy, they're like, Stern's masterclass, bullpen complete. Like we finally did it. Like Mets fans have been all over. It's been great this offseason. The ones who are actually like half kidding, not the ones who are dead serious. But Crick is a hoss. He's like 6'4, 230, has a great slider. He's someone who, at least, like in terms of minor league depth, like worth a shot. Yeah. I mean, the Crick crew, maybe that would be the new Brigham boys. We'll see. The Crick crew. Yeah, we'll see. Let's see, let's see how spring training goes. Yeah. If he gets if he gets a 95, just like I said with Brigham last year, I'm in. You're in. I'm in. I'm not, totally not looking in. back. If I see 95 on that reading. Man, when we go to spring training, that's going to hit differently when we watch Kyle Crick pitch. <laughs> Like, yeah, come on. Well, last year, Brigham did. He, just, he never got to that uh, velocity level, but I digress. Joey Wendell, the next guy bringing in. A defensive sub, essentially. You guys know the vibes. Like, he's going to be essentially that Luis Guillorme role where he can play every infield position. I think he can even play the outfield if needed, a corner spot. Um, I don't think he's played it a lot, but I think he has, like, an inning or two there in case of emergency. So that's possible. $3 million. It's free. High contact guy. Puts the ball in play. The thing that I love about him the most has nothing to do with his actual ability no BGs, no batting gloves. So while Guillaume was no batting gloves guy, we don't lose one. We get one back here with Joey Wendell, no batting gloves. And the dude just wears like plain black cleats, keeps the pants low, respects the game. Sometimes you need some of those guys here. And Joey Wendell, I'm all for it. I've also like, I've just had an affinity with Joey Wendell ever since he like really got that start with the Rays of a guy who's just like, you watch him play and you're not fascinated, but he does everything kind of well. And he's going to make some big plays for you, get some big hits. Just a, a fun, boring player to watch, if that makes any sense. Yeah, and uh, 2023 was really rough for Wendell, but going back to 2022, he just did the Wendell thing where he never swung and missed. He never struck out, and he played really good defense. I think that's the goal here for $3 million. That's Again, that's like basically a non-starter for a baseball player's salary. It's, it's funny that a signing like this, I feel like usually happens late February, early March. Like yeah. as spring trainings come together, rosters are around, the last guy's hanging out there. All right, $3 million, come play backup infielder. So I thought it was funny this was like the first move that we made. Some people talked about that, but also something important about Wendell that's David Stern said, absolutely said, like said it out loud yesterday while he was talking to the media during the GM meeting said he brings a cultural element to this roster in this clubhouse, which is like, okay, consummate pro. He's been in winning clubhouses. The, the Marlins team he was on last year, just, despite the fact that he didn't play super well, no. is a team that completely overseed expectations. And he was a part of a locker room that did that. Well, he had a lot of young guys. So $3 million, I don't think people should be freaking out about this. The fact that we're like wasting our time and energy on Joey Wendell. As far as the 26-man roster goes, you want a guy like Joey Wendell on it. Yes. And if, if, if it is going to be Joey Wendell, like good. And if not, if not. But I think this is someone who, don't read too much into it. Like this is just a guy who doesn't wear batting gloves and plays good defense. <laughs> people like to have around. And that's a good thing. 
who's like had like a 750 OPS a couple times in his career. Like, yeah, and like two he's years. He's just ago, better yeah. Luis Guillorme. Like, it's really just that simple. It probably, yeah, it probably is. Yeah. So that's Joey Wendell. Now to talk about the big one, the most fun one, Luis yes. Severino. I know me and James talked about trivia earlier. The news broke about that when we were headed to trivia and we were yeah. texting each other wildly, which you would think, like, again, like you signed someone crazy. But Luis Severino, one year, $13 million deal with the Mets. Super, super interesting contract. Super happy that we were on the side of this. It's funny, in my MLB, uh, in like my free agent prediction video that I do every year on my YouTube channel, I predict where every single free agent's going to sign. And I almost kind of forgot that we have the Brewers guy because I predicted Severino to go to the Brewers this offseason simply because I was like, this feels like a guy that the Brewers, Brewers would sign. Great stuff. Has been a top pitcher before. They can fix him. And then I was like, wait, we've got the Brewers guy. It makes so much sense that the Mets went out and signed him. Totally. And I think the thing that Mets fans have to understand about Severino is a couple other things. One, you can't really look at any signings in a vacuum. It'll make everything will make significantly more sense when the offseason's over. Yes. So like the fact that right now Severino is the only pitcher that we've signed, I think has people on edge just because he's someone who, in terms of what we saw from him last year, the last couple of years, the last really five years, it's hard to rely on either effectiveness or availability, which yeah. if I have a pitcher, I would like both of those things in a perfect world. Effectiveness and availability. But then if you like have Severino and you tack on some innings eaters and maybe a high-end starter also in offseason, he becomes someone who is like the third most expensive pitcher signed, or even the second best, or even maybe the third because there's two guys who are slightly above him, one guy way above him, one guy a little above him. Nevertheless, look at you can never look at him in a vacuum. Right now, we have to because this is where we're, we are in the offseason. The other thing that's important to look at with this contract is that this is a one-year, $13 million commitment. Luis Severino is someone who's never been extended a qualifying offer before, so now if, any, if everything goes incredibly, you have the opportunity to do that as well. So the best-case scenario, this is like a deal with one plus a team option for about $35 million in, in the most perfect world ever. And it, at worst, it's just one for 13. That's less money than Andrew Heaney got last year from the Rangers. It's less money than Alex Wood got a few years ago from the Giants. This is the kind of contract that you give to someone who you think can be a starting pitcher, but you don't necessarily counting them to be a starting pitcher. You're kind of paying for the risk here. And the risk with Severino is that you look at a guy who, even two years ago, we have to put away 2017, 2018 yeah. Severino out of our minds, which sucks because at that time he was literally like one of the most electric pitchers in baseball. The Yankees signed him to like an arbitration ender where he got, got a couple years off him. And he got steady money, which wound up being great for him because he spent 700 straight days on the IL from 2019 through 2021. So happy he got that bag then. But it, he was thrown, he had the highest average fastball velocity in the league, the eighth highest average slider velocity. He, he, people couldn't touch him. He was pitching the wild card game for them. Like he was their ace. He was literally an ace on the Yankees team that almost won a World Series. Yeah. No, That's he crazy was to say. Very, Lights very out. good pitcher. Like you watched him and you're like, oh man, really sucks that the Yankees have this guy because he is <laughs> nasty. Yeah. And again, just to contextualize again, people don't remember how good he was those two years 384 innings, 318 ERA, 109 whip, 28.8 strikeout rate, 6.2 walk rate. And like 11 F war, one of the best pitchers literally in all of baseball, like no disputing that, but then just injuries piled up. He had shoulder thing. He had wound up getting Tommy John surgery. Then he had like a weird groin thing that got pushed away. And then he wound up just like not 700 straight days. Like I said, on the injured list from 2019, 2020, 2021, then he came back in 2022 and he was actually quite good. I don't think that, I think that's the part that a lot of people are missing in this equation right here. Yes. Is that the season before last, he was amazing. He was back. He was throwing 96. He wasn't throwing 98, but he was throwing 96. The slider velocity dropped more, but the slider was still actually really good. Had a 42% whiff rate. That was the 12th highest in all of baseball and 29% put away rate. And the put away rate is how often you're using that in a two strike count and how often that's getting guys out. So he was one of the best at using his slider when people knew he was using his slider 
and still getting guys out. Overall in the year, he only threw 100 innings because, of course, he got injured again, a lot injury. But 318 ERA, 1.0 whip, 28% strikeout, 78% walks, 100 innings. Like He was fantastic. He's a guy who you'd love in your rotation. And he did that because he started using his changeup more, which is pitch that I don't even think is that good, but it's just something that's different. And a guy who throws everything that goes horizontal, like the slider goes horizontally. The fastball is a fastball that has pretty good shape. So it has like that rising action we talk about sometimes. And he introduced a cutter that's more of just like a little bit faster, a little more, a little less movement version of a slider. So he used the changeup as just something that moves differently. But the fact that he used the cutter and the changeup more with less velocity helped him be very successful again. But then I told, told you guys he had that lat injury. Last year was just a total disaster. It was awful. The ERA was six. Um, the strikeout rate was below 20%. Like it was really, really bad. He was truly like one of the, one of the, one of the worst pitchers in baseball for as much he pitched. And it kind of made you look at 2022 and realize there was a lot of good luck that he was getting away with. I mentioned the fact that a lot of his pitchers were moving horizontally, not north and south. When you're a righty or a lefty and all of your pitchers move one way, it definitely gives you less options against hitters who are opposite hand to the view. Yeah. And that year against lefties, like it, it was a lot of good luck. Like his bat lefties bad bip against him was under 200. And that made like the, the splits look okay. Like the ERA was basically the same, but like the FIP was way off. The slugging was way off. He had like a 15 point lower strikeout rate against lefties and righties. He gave up like almost the entire more home run per nine innings against lefties and righties. He had 10 point less whiff rate against lefties and righties. So like there is a lot of good that happened two years ago, but it's also definitely still not like a perfect picture. But again, this is a great floor here for one year, $13 million. David Stern said in his media availability on Monday that they believe they know how to keep him healthy. Like he said that, he's like, I think we can help him stay healthy. And that's like the biggest thing with him because the fastball and slider are still great. Even yeah. last year as his ERA was six, like Stuff Plus said both those pitchers were well above league average. He was on one of the top guys on Nino Saris' underrated starting pitchers for this offseason. And like as long, most pitchers who rely on velocity, you just can never rely on velocity forever. So the way you become a good veteran pitcher as opposed to a good young pitcher is getting new tricks, deepening your repertoire like we, he proved that he could do in 2022, and just finding new ways to keep hitters off balance and get them out. I don't think that's really outside the range of possibilities here, and that, to me, is a really good bet for one year and $13 million for, oh, for Alex Wood Andrew Heaney money. 100%. And like I know like we're talking about the velo has dropped from when he was 24 years old, but he still averaged 96 last year, which is still plus for a major league starting pitcher. Like That is still well above average for how hard a pitcher is going to throw. So the idea that like Severino has these good tools, has the guts still of someone who can be a very, very solid pitcher, there of course needs to be adjustment. There needs to be changes, like you just said. Like there has to be, he has to pitch better. He did not pitch well last year. There's going to be changes made to how he was. But being able to still have those good guts and good bones of someone who can be a good pitcher for one year, $13 million. I mean, take take that every single day. What did Mike Clevenger sign for last year? Like $12 million, I think, with the White Sox? Like Something like that. Like this is that, that but I'm saying, like you have to... Could, Drew Smiley was like $11 million, like, yeah. and those guys don't throw 96? No. You view Severino in that range of pitchers. Like right now, he makes the least money in baseball for someone, an average fastball velocity of at least 96 miles an hour. There it is. That alone is worth the money. The rest doesn't even matter. The fact the slider is still good doesn't even matter. And you also have to think about the fact that he's, he's leaving Yankee Stadium for City Field. And while... Yeah. That's probably means something mentally for the guy who was like the golden child, like someone who was going to be like the future ace of this like crazy staff. The fact that you can just like get away and like take a deep breath for a second, like that's a good thing. But also the fact that it's just like you're going to give up less home runs. Yes. Like last year's home run per, per fly ball rate was 21%. League average, something like 13%, 14% for that number. So even that just going from one of the highest in the league, like down to league average, we hate XFIP for that reason, but there's a good time to contextualize it because year the year, he's in a ballpark, he's going to give up fewer home runs. Yeah. That's all very important. And like, I don't know, like we, we have to like look at this. We have to, we have to have confidence 
and what the front office can do before we doubt them rather than the other way around. Yeah. Because right now I feel like everyone is saying like, oh, the Mets are taking all these flyers on pitchers. Like if this was the Rays or the Dodgers or the Guardians, like I would trust them before I doubted them. But like this is we're, – we're pulling what the Brewers have been doing for the last couple of years right now. And we – again, if we, we kept all these pitching people in place. Like there's, there's a lot of trust inside this organization that we can get more out of players than other organizations can. So if, it, if this blows up in our face, you know, it's a one-year deal and you say bye-bye, you never yeah. think about it again. So there's no risk really at all. Either. There's never risk on a one-year contract. But there is really good chance this works out. And if he be, just becomes a guy who can throw like 130 innings to like a 3-5 ERA, like that is such a massive win for the amount of money we're spending on him. Huge, huge. And I think like even in like, let's just pretend worst case scenario too, something that you've talked about a lot is like major league teams finding these guys who can be these relievers that go two, three innings max effort like every couple days or whatever it's going to be. Luis Severino could totally be that guy. Like imagine if this guy maxed out for 40 pitches, like twice a week or whatever it's going to be. Like all of a sudden you're looking at a guy, you're like, man, that's like a high leverage arm that can give us multiple innings that we did not have either. So we obviously want him to be a great starting pitcher with the team. It's not like, I hope he becomes a reliever for us one day. Like want him to be a starting pitcher. That means things are working really, really well. But I think even in a worst case scenario, like you said, it's one year deal. He's, he's doesn't stick around or he becomes a very, very useful reliever with stuff that, I mean, how many guys threw a pitch over a hundred miles an hour last year in the Mets bullpen? Zero, whole organization. I'm not going to pretend like Severino's going to come in if he was in a bullpen scenario and throw 100 automatically, but he'd probably throw harder than almost anybody did for the Mets last year. And as bad as last year was and how much he was on and off the shelf with injuries and how ineffective he was for most of the season. When he came back, those last couple starts September, he was gassing up to 97 again. Yep. So even if he just has that, like, I don't know, like for one year, $13 million, like I really, I really can't find many more their lottery tickets on the market and we're starting to see how much money other pitchers are going for like this is just seems like a no-brainer the guy's still 29 years old and like i'm sure that there was even a part of it that was like we, we don't even want to sign a two-year contract for luis severino's people because we're like we want to see how quickly we can get back on the market and hope that we're good people remember yeah. a couple of years ago guys like carlos rodon and kevin gassman whose careers were like robbie ray careers people thought these guys careers were over. literally over they changed teams and had one good season and then everything went ballistic Carlos Rodon was like an afterthought for the White Sox, wound up signing the one-year deal for the Giants because no one trusts him. The Yankees gave him over $100 million. Kevin Gaspin was pitching. What? <laughs> he was non-tendered. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Kevin Gaspin was pitching. Out of, he was DFA'd twice. He was on. He was DFA'd by the Orioles, and the Braves picked him up, DFA'd him. And then the Reds picked him up and got and like just didn't re-sign him to a contract. He was pitching out of the bullpen for the Reds and the Braves for a period of time. Yep. Went to the Giants for one year, and now he is one of the best pitchers in baseball. Like It happens very quickly with pitching. And I'm sure all of those contracts, there are a lot of people in their fan base being like, this is ridiculous. This guy sucks. Like, I know he's terrible. Like, look at his career array. Look how bad he was last year. He's awful. But it's just not how pitching works. And the fact that Severino still has two-plus grades on his two best pitches, and he's shown a willingness to learn a new pitch and try to develop another one in his changeup and his cutter, there's a lot of good stuff to work with here. And I, I, I love this move. I was floored when the Mets signed this. This is probably, like, one of my favorite contracts I've been given out so far this free agency period. Yeah, no, no, it's it's super funny how people will do like the the revisionary revisionist revisionist history with like if a pitcher was bad like let's say in 2017 and had like one good year they'd be like look at what this guy's career RA is bad wise for a guy like Severino they're like look at what he did in 89 innings out of his entire career and he stinks like it just doesn't doesn't really compute necessarily when you think about it from like a cool calm rational standpoint is why you listen to us so we can give you the good takes and you can know what's actually going on over here totally and we're not telling you guys like 2017 severino's no. back we're an ace like like Yan Yan yankees fumbled the bag here we're not saying that's probably we're not, not yankee realistic. fans no of course not yeah we're, we're not reactionary like that but like there is a realistic world where this is like okay 
this is just a huge win. Like 13 million winds up being worth like 24 million. And the Mets just got a guy who's going to pitch, like I said before, like 130, 150 innings with Yara in the threes. Like that would be incredible. And you know what? If we help Severino get back, get his career back on track, still just 29 years old, it's a huge win. Oh, we almost, we, our birthdays are six days apart. We can have birthday week, spring there training. You go. February 20th. Yeah, we'll hang out with Luis Severino. Louis. So he'll be 30 when the season starts. But as we also know for pitching, it's not really that old for pitching. No. Like pitchers kind of peak between like, what, 27, 34 these days? Well, you brought up your guy Gosman. The best year of his career was age 30 after he signed that contract with the Giants. I mean, Rodon too. The year before, he signed the contract with the Yankees. Funny how that works. But <laughs> you, just, you, know, you just kind of hope. And like, it's also a guy like Severino. He's comfortable in this city. We talked about like maybe some pressure leaving the Yankees. Just like the same people say the same things to you over and over again. Probably feels kind of hard to talk to them for a certain period of time. Yeah. Matt Chapman has talked about this, another free agent right now, that when he tore his hip labrum and like he was getting the coaching in Oakland, like it just wasn't, it stopped working. And we know the apparently other shortcomings of that organization. And Matt also yeah. talked about this too. Both of those guys had a hole in the exact same part of the strike zone, like high, high middle, high in, and like with velocity. They couldn't hit that pitch for years. And all of a sudden they went to different teams, like, oh, they can hit these pitches again. That wasn't really that hard. So, you know, maybe someone just talks to Severina about a new group for his cutter. Maybe yep. he learns a little bit something about his changeup. Maybe he learns for his a slider. Like even yeah, just I mean, adjustment. Good. Yeah. I'm just saying, like, yeah. even just like a slight adjustment, like instead of here, you go here. Like, oh wow, now it's nasty again. Totally. And then there is also something about the way the Mets are slow playing this pitching market because we, we know that the crown jewel of this free agency period is Yoshinobu Yamamoto. And we have got no word on the decision there. Shohei Otani right now is the one who's kind of like taking all of the buzz right now. It seems like his, like his situation is hitting a breaking point when his domino falls and a lot of things are going to start to happen. Yes. But I think there is something to be said about how great the Mets probably felt about the way their young crop of minor leaguers developed last season. Definitely. And we heard friend of the program, Ed Eddie, was doing a chat for Baseball America people the other day. And he talked about specifically Christian Scott, that like Christian Scott is someone who ascended quickly and like yep. he's got major league pitches. And like he's someone who wouldn't, he wouldn't, Ed Eddie said, it wouldn't be surprising if Christian Scott is a guy that like can contribute to the major league level next year and like can make a difference, like can be the guy who like jumps into that next echelon from being like a prospect to being like, oh, this guy's a major league pitcher and he's getting better and better and better. And I think that is like a testament to the Mets pitching development, to Jaegers, to Hefner, and the fact that like all these guys are getting these pitchers together. Also about Christian Scott, like apparently like just like Blade Hidwell, like that was the big story over the summer. Yeah. Like he also learned all these new pitches. He changed, yep. he went from a, a sinker, a sinker, what, what Matt Eddie say? I can check back that chat now, but he's just developed this four-seamer out of nowhere the last few years from being a two-seamer sinker guy where if you can change a guy's fastball, like that's something that pitchers say is like one of the hardest things to do. Like your fastball is generally your fastball. And we've heard him and Christian Scott say that they, now basically redefine their entire repertoires in a year mm -hmm. with the organization. Both got incredible results while they were doing it, while moving up the ladder. Like, we should be have confidence right now in what the organization is able to do with pitching, which is a weird thing for Mets fans. I know it's hard to trust right <laughs> now. We all have PTSD from a lifetime of turmoil and like, a lack of triumph. But. It isn't, it isn't, though. Like, it's like we have, like, it seems like when we get hot, we get hot with hitting, like this recent group of guys that have come up, like we've got hot with hitting. Pete, McNeil, Nimmo, like those kind of guys. Alvarez, Beatty coming up now too. And then before that, it was all pitching. Like, boy, wish the Mets could have, you know, made a hitter in the 2015-16 area besides Michael Conforto. What that could have really done for that roster. But it's like, now we're starting to come into a spot where like they've got the hitting development down pretty well. David Serge is bringing in even more of his secrets or whatever he knows from the Brewers with what's already been successful this previous year with the Mets. Uh, it's an exciting time. It's an exciting time. And again, kind of like you said, like, give them benefit of the doubt. Like, let them prove to you that they know what they're, or like, trust that they know what they're doing rather than being like, they have to prove it to me kind of thing. Like, let's, let's trust it. Let's see what's going on here.
That's that's the theme of this uh, this theme of this podcast. Like trust before distrust, rather than distrust before trust. But again, if someone distrusts before trust, like, I don't blame you. Like we've seen a lot of this organization yeah. for our lifetimes. Like I don't blame you at all. I'm just saying that like I don't know. Maybe maybe it's okay to love again. Yes. Yeah, so it's it's always okay. It's always okay. Was John Newman? That, is that his song? Love again. Love me again. I need to know. Now. Yeah, there yeah, it is. A banger. No, yeah. no. Can, Can you, you love, love me, me again? again? Yeah, that's, that's that's all of us with the Mets. Yes, hundred <laughs> percent. Speaking of which, we're now going to go ahead and jump forward a couple hours here, react to what's going on with the draft lottery and what David Stearns had to say at the winter meeting. So, uh, sending back off to future Mark and James. Three hours later. So it's about like four hours later. We are back. We now know where the Mets have landed in the draft lottery. Unfortunately going to be at number 19 because i think technically speaking right james that means they came up at number nine because they dropped 10 spots back yeah technically speaking but as we know now as everyone else on the internet knows absolutely no one knew what was going on with this lottery this was well, cha- chaotic i knew i knew you, you i kind, was kind of knew you made me you made me doubt myself because people on twitter were claiming that the mets were safe because when the top six came up the mets were one of the names that had not yet been mentioned and Greg Amsinger, to his credit, was kind of given an impossible situation of they were going so fast, there was yes. no time for explanation whatsoever. Uh, and with the penalties because of the salary um, or the payroll from every team that went over, Mets, Yankees, and Padres, we started to see some teams that technically weren't in the lottery landing inside of the lottery, being the Brewers, the Rays, and the Marlins. So I was telling you, I was like, once those three teams were there, that meant that we weren't in the top six because the Mets, Padres, and Yankees were all the teams that had the penalties if they did not land inside the top six. Complicated stuff. All you guys need to know, they're 19. Yeah, also because those teams in the top six couldn't fall further back outside past the teams in the playoffs, but the Mets, Padres, and Yankees all could because of their penalties. Really weird. Poorly explained. Also, just kind of like now looking at this and like seeing it like get borne out, kind of stinks for a lot of these bad teams. Like the Oakland A's just had two of the worst seasons, what, like ever? And yep. they just saw two teams who had records over 500. They're going to pick, they're going to pick ahead of them. And now because they were selected in back-to-back lotteries, now next year, they can't be in the lottery again. That's awful. Yeah, no, it does suck for a team like the A's, but it does incentivize the fact that you, you try should be trying more. to win. You got to try to win because there are no guarantees, guarantees in losing. Like the Reds almost made the playoffs last year. They got the number two pick. But yeah. Flip side of that a team like the nationals who definitely didn't try to lose last year, definitely tried to win something that I'm going to have to deal with on Wednesday night when I have to pay out, pay you out for our, uh, our famous stake bet. Nationals versus A is what bad bet that was by me. But since they got picked in the lottery like high last year, or the year before that as well, this year they were like locked in at the 10th pick. Yeah. Even though they had the fifth worst record. They didn't even get like, that's like that's be all that's but I think that was mostly because they're one of the teams that like gives money and revenue sharing rather than gets it. Which is And it has to do with just the fact that they've been bad for a couple years and they now instituted yeah. that new rule with the new CBA about the lottery. That was like a whole thing. Because I mean, theoretically. Unlike the NBA and the NFL and stuff like that, like tanking in baseball doesn't really matter for draft picks, but it does. It's like, it's in practice, the idea makes sense. But in reality, like the baseball draft or the way that the MLB draft works is like, it is sheerly talent scouting and evaluation. Like if you can do that well, it doesn't really matter where your pick is. You can crush the draft. Yes, but I'll push back on you a little bit for that because when you do move back like the Mets are moving back in this draft, they're going to lose like probably almost $3 million in their slot value. That's where it hurts. That's so you're hurts. losing and your slot value becomes like what you have as your bonus pool for the entire draft. And we saw last year the Mets do a really good job of kind of gaming their pool. And even a guy that got in trade the deadline, Ryan Clifford, where the, the Astros game their pool. Whereas if you know someone has extra talent, like whether it be a prep player, high schooler, 
who has a commitment to college, who he knows is going to take a lot of money to lure. Most teams will just start not to draft them, and they'll drop and drop and drop and drop, and that's how you can get good players like that. Like this year, the Mets player Colin Houck that took in the first round was someone who people considered something like a top 10 talent, but kind of dropped in the draft because he wasn't going to take a lot of pool money to sign. Ryan Clifford, our new prospect first baseman, was someone who was considered a first, second round talent, was committed to Vanderbilt. The Astros basically just threw their first nine picks in the air at the wind and then gave him a second round, uh, like high second, late first, like slot value where he was taken. That's how they got him to go, go past school and come to the professionals originally. So it does matter, but also doesn't matter, but also like really doesn't matter. Like, I don't know, like, we have the 19th pick in the draft, just quickly going through a draft history. The Mets actually had the 19th overall pick in 2018, 2016, or 2020 and 2018. I think that was it. One of those picks is Pete Carl Armstrong, who, who looks like he could be a <laughs> decent player, who we've traded. Another one was Justin Dunn, who looked like he could be a decent player for a little while, then not so much. Nolan Gorman was um was a 19th overall pick in 2018. Marco Gonzalez, Michael Watkins, Shelby Miller, all in a five-year stretch for the Cardinals were all the 19th overall pick, all major league caliber pitchers. So... It means a lot. It was going to be a big deal for the last like half hour, but also like it's okay. Yeah, I don't think this is anything that anybody should be losing sleep over. I mean, like Mike Trout was like a 24th overall pick. Aaron Judge was a late first round pick, I believe. Like there's just plenty of things that show like, yes, obviously you would prefer to be higher up in the draft if given that opportunity, but also in the same regard, like there are plenty of good players that have been picked way later in drafts. Shout out Mike Piazza being the last pick. Yeah, P. Alonzo, second-round pick as well. But it was just so funny during the process that, like, especially the Mets and Yankees creators on Twitter because everyone just wants to, like, tweet first rather than know what's going on. Everyone's tweeting, like, oh, my God, we got the Yankees fan thought they were going to, like, win the lottery, even (laughs) though they're picking behind the Astros, (laughs) which is awesome. But, yeah, it was just funny. Like, like a lot of Mets people were like, oh, my God, we did it, we did it. It was like, no, a lot of tweets were deleted right when the draft line was coming out just because sometimes you got to wait. Being first doesn't matter. Who cares? We're on Twitter. We're just hanging out. I will say, like, even in a draft that isn't as important as other sports, <laughs> lotteries are electric. Yeah, they're fun. I love just seeing seeing, seeing uh, things come out. Even though it was Brad Paisley hosting, which was bizarre. He even that was a fever dream. He's he's from West Virginia. He's a country guy, and he's a Dodgers fan. What was that? I mean, he just probably lives in Nashville as a country guy. Just seeing like a cowboy hat on MLB Network, I was like, what what what's what's happening? And he even like botched one of the, one of the envelopes, which was really <laughs> funny too. He's holding it back. He's like, oh my bad. It's like, all right, well, Brad Paisley's having a good time. Say he's a baseball fan though, so I guess that's fun. We're in Nashville, get the local flavor. But oh, Nashville, I didn't think about that. That's yeah. definitely why he's there. Yeah. Like Op- the Opryland Hotel or whatever. Yeah. But other stuff that's been going on, I will send you guys out with just general winter meeting stuff. David Stearns has spoken to the media each of the last two days. And like these times when he speaks, it's definitely like a whole lot of GM talk, but there's definitely like bits and pieces of things to pull where it's like you can understand it. The biggest thing that I pull, again, we talked about at the beginning of the episode, it's four hours later, so it feels like a whole other episode. <laughs> it, it seems like me and David Stern have like a hive mind. He says things <laughs> I say all the time. It's bizarre. They asked him about um, how like the bullpen's very open right now. He's like, yeah, the bullpen is very open, but I don't think that's a bad thing. He goes, bullpens are very volatile. The group are going to rely on opening day is different than the group will rely on July 1st. And that'll be different than July, uh, June 1st. That'll be different than July 1st. That'll be different than August 1st. These groups tend to change as the year go on. I was like, yeah, you're right. I mean, I'm in group chats with you and I see you like common people down telling them like, it's just like, this is what we got to do. This is what we're thinking. And to hear him just repeat your words, essentially almost Crazy. verbatim. Like I am starting to wonder, I've never seen you and David Stearns in the same room at the same time. So until we get that interview, I'm not going to believe that you're not different people. Nah, Plug's name is David. But he also just said that like in terms of bullpen acquisition, I think everyone's like waiting for a big free agent bullpen signing. But he like definitely said there's a lot of ways to acquire bullpen pieces. And I think it's a good thing to note that like one of the hottest names in the bullpen market right now, Robert Stevenson, who by all accounts, was probably the best reliever in baseball last year from July 1st to the end of the year. 
came in an early season trade to the Tampa Bay Rays. Someone who's yep. been on the scrap heap for years and years and years. So that's how you get the best relievers. And the fact that David Stearns was like, these are volatile. Like we, if we sign a guy for big money, like that is a, a genuine risk. Like we don't know how, how likely we are to do that. Like that's, that's a cool thing. And then I think Disha asked him, does your role feel different now that like you're operating as like the president of this big market team, New York, like all the eyes on you, like all these reporters around you. And he was like, yeah, definitely. <laughs> like so candid. Everyone started laughing. He was like, it is, it feels a lot different. Yeah. I mean, of course, like it should feel different that he, he got an upgrade from where he was in Milwaukee. Like, he was the man there, but like he is literally like the man here. Like everyone answers to David Stearns, whatever he wants or says goes. Uh, it's got to be pretty cool, especially again for the team that he grew up rooting for. I thought it was also worth noting too that they said they're looking for starting outfield as well. We know that Mauricio can play second, and theoretically McNeil can go to the outfield, but that still leaves a question mark with starting Marte and his health. DJ Stewart, we don't know what's going on there. Probably don't want to go in with him being the everyday outfielder more in a platoon role if anything or just you know spot start here and there but it is worth noting that he did say they are looking for starting outfield too um and that's something to keep an eye out for there are some names yes and he also said that he, that our outfielder could be someone who's offensively focused or could be defensively focused which basically means like we're gonna just take a look at everybody and see who fits like what we want and the Mets have been linked to some outfielders you guys know by now we're not talking about players that aren't nope. on the Mets on this podcast so sorry about that gotcha good pull you in real quick he did say, though, that he sees Jeff McNeil primarily as a, as a second baseman. He Ooh, said okay. it would be stupid to pigeonhole him, which, I mean, of course, you have a baseball player who can do different things. You want him to do different things. But he did say, like, we see him primarily as a second baseman, which, again, does make you think that, yes, he could be the outfielder. But this is also the winter meetings. Like, you can yeah. say things then, like, oh, my God, this second baseman just became available for nothing. I'm going to bring in the second baseman. I know I have this guy who can play the outfield. Like, he's going to play the outfield. Like, that's something that we alluded to before the Dodgers saying that they have a guy who's going to be their full-time second baseman because they have other guys who play second base in that roster. Yes. Like, and then, again, this is just like, I just thought of this, like, but just now I was listening to Rates and Barrels podcast. And they mentioned, it. I was like, oh, that's a good point. Like if they say that Mookie Betts, the everyday second baseman, I'm sure Gavin Lux is not going to be in their team next year. Uh, they said Gavin Lux is going to play shortstop to be fair. That's great. But they said they were looking for an upgrade at shortstop. This is this is the yeah, winter all, meetings. That's what I'm it's, saying. Like, it's all like, it's all moving around, but nothing's really happening. You gotta like get to these bits and pieces, like take, find the hints. It's fun to theorize and hypothesize and try and guess like what's going on, what they're going to do, what everybody does. But like at the end of the day, you're just going to get exhausted. You're going to get tired. You're going to get mad. You're going to get frustrated because you're not going to figure it out. I mean, Dave Roberts talked about that. They spoke to Shohei Otani, then got a text instantly and ran away from everybody. So it's like you don't know what's going on at any moment. Things can change like crazy. We'll uh, give you as much information as we always can, as we always do. But it's just like. At the end of the day, let's just wait and see what happens, as boring as that is. Yeah, when that happened, Brandon Gomes had a uh, Dodger GM had media availability. He was like, what did he say? And yeah. he looked flustered. I was like, that's, that's kind of hilarious. Like, this Keep is funny. a secret. Yeah, oh, God. But then the other thing that made big rounds on Twitter that Stern said is that the Mets are fine with their in-house options at third base and said, we might not even go the opening day knowing who the starter is. So we might not really ever know who the starter is. And that's kind of the way a lot of his teams went in Milwaukee for a long time, where it's like these positions are going to be fluid as the year goes especially on. Especially like, third base. Yeah, especially third base. You're hot, you're going to be there. I know a lot of people in Mets world right now aren't really okay with the Mets options at third base, but these are two people whose combined ages are less than 50 years old. I would just say definitely give them a chance. Even three of them combined for less than 75 with Vientos, Mauricio, and Bailey. So just give everyone a chance. He said, starting to something really nice what I liked about um, what you think about young players. He said it's important for them to, for organizations to learn about their young players and he said, when you look at the composition of winning baseball teams, there's generally a pretty good mix of veterans and younger players who can provide energy and spontaneity. I think we have a good mix like that. 
Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, like you said, the the young guys give them a chance. There, we've seen so many good things out of all of them. Like Mauricio has done some crazy stuff athletically. Vientos only hit home runs against good pitchers, the elite pitchers in Major League Baseball last year. And Brett Beatty, like, started off the year pretty hot, swinging the bat really well, um, and has shown some flashes here and there, like a great plate discipline, good pop in the bat. So there's no reason to overreact and try and be like, we need to go get, let's just say, a Matt Chapman per se and play him at third base right now. When like they, there are plenty of in-house options that we expect will be able to play at a high level. Yeah, and I also expect that with a new coaching staff, you could probably find new ways to develop the players who maybe seemed stuck a year ago, whether it be offensively or defensively. Mm-hmm. I think that'll help every guy in this team. And then just a couple more things, wrap up what he was saying, that uh, a lot of Brewers type talk, which I know some people are upset about, but I think you and I are kind of excited about, where he yeah, was like, they were like, what do you think about the pitching staff? And he was like, you can put together a competitive pitching staff in a variety of ways. And he was like super <laughs> noncommittal about top-end guys, mid-end guys, how many more guys they're going to acquire. It was, he wasn't even committal on how many top-end guys he thought existed in the market right now, which I love. Yeah. Like, don't say anything. Don't tell anybody well, that's anything. Like, that's something we've spoke about. We're like, we love how we kind of don't know that much about what's going on. Right. Like, it's pretty cool considering like there are a lot of like needs that the Mets could address. And I don't think that they're not going to, but it's just like, he's keeping it very hush hush, like not showing my hand, try and figure out what I'm thinking. You can, you don't know. No, totally. And I just, I mean, honestly, like this is kind of the way you should build a pitching staff. I think maybe like keep an open mind and like, see what you get and where you get it. Like, we told you guys months ago when we officially hired uh, David Stearns, like the Brewers went to a, a, a wor- almost a World Series. Their pitching staff was headlined by, I think, Wade Miley and Yulis Chassin. So yeah. it, you, like, it, it might not look like look good, but like sometimes just some th- things just happen well, and that's kind of the way it is. Also, we would be remiss if we went this entire podcast without at least mentioning that we probably Jose Iglesias' two minor league deal. Yes. As, as, as Joey Wendell Insurance, basically the same guy, just tattooed, like, like just – Make, put them in the mirror, made another copy of them. So those guys are going to compete for that backup infielder role, it seems like. And uh, yeah, and then uh, otherwise, more more pitching stuff. I'm seeing you wrote a note to me, but yeah, he, he David Stern did say that. He did okay, say, yeah. like, again, people tried to keep keep getting him with stuff about Pete Alonso, and he said, Pete's a good baseball player, and I expect him to be our first baseman opening day. Like that. Like but like that's that. GM talk. He's a good baseball course, player. Yeah. I expect him to be here. Yeah, me too. That'd be smart. He's on yeah. the team. I want him here. We all want him here. Yeah, and then someone asked about if they were actually like specifically looking for velocity, and he goes, "Velocity is part of the package, but it's not the total package." And he goes, "My desire is to have a diversity of looks and stuff out of the pen, which is also something I say all the time, which is really hilarious." <laughs> I can't wait to talk to him. I want to talk to him so bad. Uh, I can't wait. And yeah, then that'll um, be a lot of fun. He was asked specifically about swingmen, guys who could throw multiple innings out of the pen. He said yes again to that. Nice, another, love that. It's another big, big take of the messed up podcast, and also said that um, they will. One of the few players he did mention by name is that uh they will explore Tyler McGill as a starter, continuing to try okay. that. Which is that's, nice. that's very encouraging that they're, they're viewing him as like, let's try and keep him as a starter if we can, which is something that we've seen him be successful with in the past. I mean, listen, there's a lot of moves that are still to be made for this Mets team. The winter meetings are still going on. I don't know when they officially end. Tomorrow, I think, right? Yeah, the day tomorrow, you guys are listening to the this? next day? I don't know. Yeah, the Rule 5 draft is coming up. Um, there's definitely some interesting players there. Wednesday, that, uh, right? Yeah, Wednesday. Some interesting players there. Asa Lacey, that's the guy I got my, my, my finger watching because he was a top... I think top five, top 10 pick in the draft a couple of years ago, back in the COVID draft out of uh, Texas A&M. He's had some injury concerns and some just kind of overall quality concerns of how well he's played, but he has some absolutely crazy stuff and he is not protected. So someone you could maybe see a team pick up and he would have to be on the major league roster or they send him back. But all in all, uh, rumor mill's relatively been slow. There hasn't been much going on besides the Braves 
bringing in a familiar face, which we'll talk about for a minute here, James. Uh, Jared oh, Kelvin. I forgot about that. Oh yeah. my God, I totally forgot that. But yeah, I guess two minutes on that. I mean, honestly, just like, it stinks to say out loud, but it's just like, it's just a good move for him and them. Like, yeah. the Mariners were just dying to get rid of money for whatever reason. And um, I don't know, they they got rid of an Evan White contract that ended up being really bad. It was one, it, he, they, they gave him an extension before he ever played in a major league game, and that was a mistake. Yes. Uh, but shout out Columbus, Ohio, where Evan White is from. And Marco Gonzalez, who's just devolved uh, from being like a good innings eater to a bad innings eater. <laughs> and there's a good chance that Gonzalez, the Braves very report, won't be on their, ma- their opening day roster. So the Braves basically just took on like $20 million in salary this year and about $40 million in total salary to get a, take a shot on Jared Kelnick. And for them, they're just like, they're looking for someone to replace, Eddie to replace Rosario. Eddie, Eddie Rosario and platoon in left field with Von Grissom, no one left fielder. So and it's also like, I think it's probably, again, it's probably a good thing for Jared Kelnick mentally to go from being the guy who's like supposed to save an organization to being like, even if, I, even if I play the best I can ever play, I'm not going to be a top six hitter in this lineup. So like, <laughs> yeah. whatever. And like, oh, of course, he's going to have four years of team control in the Atlanta Braves. Like, how else would this story end for Jared Kelnick? Like, on the five-year anniversary of when the Mets traded him to the Mariners, he goes yeah. to the Braves, division rival. I mean, listen, like, Jared Kelnick, like, we... We're happy with what ended up happening. Like we got Edwin Diaz; he's no, been great. Like we it. ended up winning that trade, hundred percent, which is yeah. kind of crazy. But uh, don't like this chapter of it whatsoever. That we're going to be seeing a lot of Jared Kelenic most likely over the next few years. Yeah, weirdly. I mean, I am excited for like the inevitable ninth inning matchups between Diaz and Kelenic. That's at least going to oh, be fun. Oh, that's going to be electric. That's going to be super fun. But I mean, just like it's also like I don't know. I feel like the Mets are still too linked to Jared Kelenic. Usually, teams Way trade prospects much. and then they go to their third team. The second time he's been included in the salary <laughs> dump, and like for some reason he's still like the hottest name. And I took advantage of it. Of course, you did as well. Like we'll get some yeah. engagements out of tweeting about it. Like we're part of the problem. Hands up on that. But it's like, how many times do like failed prospects who have like like worth than seven hundred career OPSs through like what three or four seasons still get this much buzz when they get moved? He still has some potential, but like also like I'm not, him, I'm not gonna go there. I'm just saying like him him doing well now. Like if he's like a two fifty hitter with twenty home runs, like that's a that's a major win for that team. Huge win. Huge win. They gave up Jackson Coar well, and no, the pitcher who hasn't thrown. Yeah. The pitcher who hasn't thrown is decent. He throws like upper nineties to hundred, like and he's a prep arm. He's the exact kind of player that the Mariners turn into an ace in three years. But it's crazy. The Mariners just like, please take twenty million dollars off our books and we'll give you someone who we projected to be like the fourth or fifth best hitter in our team. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, definitely interesting. Something we will be talking about all season long. That's pretty much it for this episode, guys, of the Messed Up Podcast. Thank you for listening and watching. Make sure you follow us on our social media at Messed Up on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Subscribe to the New York Mets YouTube channel if you want to see the YouTube version of this. And if you're listening to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Odyssey, drop us a rating, drop us a review, download and subscribe. Follow James on Twitter at James underscore Shiano. And me at Giraffe Nick Mark with a C. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you for watching. And we'll catch you on the next episode of the Messed Up Podcast. Peace out. Peace out. See you guys next time.